Good morning, Elevation. It's great to be with you in this space. For those of you who may not know me, maybe visiting us on this weekend, my name is Brandon and I'm the lead pastor here in Waterloo. Well, this month we are learning about how to read the Bible for all it's worth. A couple of things to get us off the ground. The first is that this is not a comprehensive series. There are so many things that I would love to be able to talk about, uh, but we're just not gonna be able to due to time. The other thing that I really wanna make uh, obvious is that these three weeks uh, that our teaching team has put together are really meant to go together like pieces of a puzzle. And so I would encourage you, if you missed last week, go and listen to the podcast feed. Or if you're not going to be around next weekend, make sure that you listen to it. Because taking just one of these weeks will not help you read the Bible any better than you have been. Uh, it's about putting it all together. Now, last week, uh, we talked about understanding where the Bible came from, the importance of reading in light of the overarching narrative as a whole, and the challenges that we face in reading from our place in history. Today's question, how can we approach the Bible in a way that gets us as close to the, as possible to what the original authors intended? Now, this is no small task, given, first of all, language differences, and second, uh, cultural distance, but it's worth the effort. In the words of Stanley Grenz, the reading of the text is for the purpose of listening to the voice of the Spirit who seeks to speak through Scripture to the church in the present. So let's dive in. So a couple of weeks ago, Melissa and I are going for a walk in our neighborhood and right across the street from our house, there's a little cul-de-sac. And as we were walking, I noticed something and it literally stopped me in my tracks. It was maybe three driveways in from the edge of the street. And it was one of those your speed signs. You know what I'm talking about? The ones that are up there and maybe the speed limit's 60 and then you drive by and it's like 76 and you're like, ooh, driving a little fast here. Some of you, maybe a lot more than 76. But this sign was on a cul-de-sac and I'm thinking, if the speed limit in the, on a city street is like 50, I don't know how it would be possible to drive any more than 50 from the end of the street, three driveways. Like how do you possibly accelerate that fast? And so looking at this, I was so confused without any context, the sign really makes no sense. I don't understand why it's there. Well, sometimes the Bible is like this. Without context, we're not sure what to make of it. Now, as I was working on this sermon, I was keenly aware of a gift that I've been given that I just want to name. A gift of time to do the kind of work that we're going to talk about this morning, week in and week out. As a pastor, you as the church, set me aside and say, we want you to dive into these scriptures. We want you to study and we want you to help us learn. Now, I take this responsibility very seriously. But the best case scenario is that the study that I or someone else on our teaching team is doing doesn't replace your own digging but it actually inspires and equips you to do more of the same in your own life. Now, during this series, we're using Romans chapter eight as a backdrop, which is kind of like reading someone else's mail. It is a letter after all, but it's not like reading your neighbor's mail. That would be both illegal and a little creepy. It's more like reading, let's say your grandmother's mail. True enough. The mail wasn't intended for you. Maybe there are letters back and forth between her and your grandfather or between a childhood friend. But because you're part of the family, it can actually tell you something about where you came from and who you are. If we want to read the Bible for all it's worth, we need to start with the then and there. We need to go back and read about that history. In biblical interpretation, this is a, a word that's used called exegesis. This is reading the Bible the way the original authors intended. And that's really what we're talking about this morning. Now, this is easier said than done. 
Think about the last time that you misinterpreted someone. It's really easy. Maybe you misinterpreted a look, or maybe you misinterpreted a word that someone said. Uh, maybe you thought that someone was winking at you, but meanwhile, they just had dust in their eyes. Think about how you would react. You would react very differently if someone was winking at you, or if you knew that they had dust in their eyes. So we have enough trouble interpreting what the person sitting across from us is saying, let alone when we've got 2,000 years and all kinds of different cultural gaps. But the purpose of exegesis is to explain. It's not to distort or to conceal or to add to what was written. It is to let the original writer speak clearly or at least as clearly as possible and not make them say what they did not mean to say in the first place. Now, here are some of the initial questions that we should be asking when we open up the Bible and look at a given text. First of all, what is the genre of this passage? So today we're looking at Romans 8. So the genre would be a letter. Um, another word is used with respect to the Bible is an epistle. So this is a letter that someone wrote to someone else. There are a number of different genres. There are history, narratives. Think about stories about King David. There is the law. Uh, there are poetry. There are books of wisdom. We talked about Ecclesiastes the last few weeks. Uh, there are books of prophecy. There are gospels, which are histories, but very specifically around the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And then there is uh, apocalyptic literature. The book of Revelation kind of stands alone in that regard in the Bible. So there are all kinds of different genres. We know about Romans 8 that it was a letter. So the second question we want to ask is who was its author and original audience? Now, if you're reading a letter, or really most books in the Bible, a good idea is to go back to the beginning, chapter 1. And if we do that in Romans, we discover right away in verse 1 that this letter was written by Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Now, if you read a little more broadly in the Bible, what we'll learn is that Paul was a former Jewish leader who became a leader of early Christians. Um, but we also learn about who his original audience was with this letter. In verse 7 of chapter 1, this letter is written to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. He goes on to give a little more detail about this group of people. Your faith is being reported all over the world. So there are some faithful people, followers of Jesus, living in the city of Rome, and their reputation is spread far and wide. Now, Paul is writing to them. And the next kind of question we want to ask is, well, when was this written and why was this written? Scholars will tell us that Romans was written in 57 AD. But even if we didn't have the advice of biblical scholars, we could figure out at least something close to that. Uh, we know that it was after the resurrection of Jesus because Paul refers to that, and that took place around 30 AD. And we knew that it was some time after Paul's ministry begins. You can just tell in his writing that he's got a lot of experience under his belt. So you add a couple of decades and there we are. But why was this written? Well, in chapter 1, verses 11, and then in verse 15, he gives us a couple of hints. First of all, he says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. And the second verse, I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you. So Paul, this early church leader, is writing in the middle of the first century to a group of people in Rome who are faithful, who have a great reputation, but he wants to give them something else. He wants to give them some kind of gift, and he wants to remind them of the good news of Jesus, the gospel. So everything that we read in this letter, any verse, any passage that we pull out of Romans, it has to be read in this context. This is who wrote it, when it was written, to who it was written, and why. Now, this is a lot. I get it. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, do you honestly think that I'm going to do this every time I open the Bible? No, I don't. But I think that we should all be able to do some kind of work like this. I love the quote from Oliver Wendell Holmes. I wouldn't give a fig 
for simplicity this side of complexity, but I give my right arm for simplicity on the other side of complexity. And otherwise, in other words, a simplistic reading of the Bible isn't worth a whole lot. But if you do the good work behind it, the background work, understanding the context, then the simple reading on the other side is actually worth a lot. But how are you going to do this? How is the average person going to do this? Well, there are a couple of resources that I'll give to you, and these are honestly just two of many. One would be a rec to recommend that you get a, stu a study Bible. If you don't already have one, I would really encourage you. I'm going to put a picture up on the screen here for you to take a look at. A study Bible is basically a Bible that is about half or two-thirds commentary on the Bible. So there are maps and there are graphs and there are de definitions. There are comments about what this word meant or what passage this refers to or how we can understand this historically. It is a fantastic tool. And you could buy one of these for yourself. Honestly, do, do you need another hoodie? Uh, do you have to go out to dinner this weekend? Maybe you could just sacrifice that, put 50 bucks toward a great study Bible and you'd have it forever. Uh, if you don't want to spend money on it and you want easy access, you can use a resource, something like BibleGateway.com. It's a website. I use it every week in my study, and it's an easy way to compare verses to one another. There are some commentaries available there. You're able to do a little bit of word study, and it's not that difficult for us to access some great resources that are out there that can help us understand how to read the Bible. So when we read the Bible exegetically, what we're doing is we're paying attention to the meaning of the text. And this is important because there are all kinds of words that are bound to come up in our reading that we don't quite understand. We might know what the word means today, but do we know what it meant to Paul when he wrote, for example? Just in chapter 8, uh, what did adoption look like in the first century? Adoption is a word that pulls up there. We know what it means to us, but what did it mean to Paul? What are first fruits? I don't know, if you're involved in an agricultural career, you probably know, but if not, probably be, would be a good idea to look that up. Who are the children of God? Why does Paul use this language? And what does he mean by redemption? We have a general idea of what that means, but what did Paul mean when he said it? Now, I can imagine that one of the fears you might have about this kind of approach to reading the Bible is that by dissecting the Bible in this way, it will lose its power, that all of the details will demystify this sacred book. And I understand, because I used to think the same thing. I can remember thinking that if I would have read the Bible that way, it would somehow lose its power. But in my own experience, I can honestly say that learning to appreciate the Bible for what it is, understanding that a letter is a letter, that a poem is a poem, what history is all about, uh, that has only strengthened my love for this book and my commitment to listening closely to what the Spirit might be saying through the words that I read. As we read in Romans 8, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, an author that I've been reading for a while, Carlo Vickenhausgaard, was invited at one point to translate the Bible into Norwegian, his native tongue. And he's not a person of faith himself, but he wrote about the experience in a really powerful way that I want to share with you this morning. He wrote that people have been reading the Bible as Holy Scripture for a couple of thousand years, and every word of it that it contains has been considered meaningful. A dizzyingly tight mesh of different meanings and shades of meaning have thereby arisen, which no single human can ever possibly command. What happened when I started working on those texts is that I learned to read. I began to understand what it meant to read. Reading is seeing the word's lights shining in the dark, one after another, and to engage in the activity of reading is to follow the lights into the text. 
I love that last line, this image of the words of Scripture being like lights that are showing us the way, and we just need to follow their lead. So once we begin to grasp the then and the there, and this has been a bit of whirlwind introduction, only then are we ready to move on to the here and now. Now, part of the challenge with this is that we can't always apply one-to-one. Sometimes things that were written then and there are really tricky to apply here and now, but we have to do the hard work of making those connections. One of the things that we're likely to trip on is something that is known as confirmation bias. This is the tendency to search for, interpret, favor, and recall information in a way that confirms or supports one's prior beliefs or values. And a lot of us approach the Bible this way by default. This is why it's easy for different people to read the same Bible and come away with such divergent views, because a lot of the times when we go to the text, we've already got our mind made up about an issue, and so it can be challenging. As Rachel Held Evans writes in her book Inspired, the truth is you can bend scripture to say just about anything you want it to say. You can bend it until it breaks. For those who count the Bible as sacred, interpretation is not a matter of whether to pick and choose, but how to pick and choose. We're all selective. We all wrestle with how to interpret and apply the Bible to our lives. We all go to the text looking for something, and we all have a tendency to find it. Those are some really honest words, and I appreciate the admission that we all pick and choose. And Hal Evans goes on to suggest that what we need to do is learn how to pick and choose in the way of Jesus. Now, of course, we can get just as easily run into trouble there. Which Jesus, which version of Jesus are we following? But a commitment to keeping Jesus central in our reading of scripture is our best bet all the same. There's a great quote that comes from Henry Blackaby's classic book, Experiencing God. And I hope that some version of this quote will continue to ring in your head whenever you open the pages of the Bible. He says, as if this was a prayer to God, am I ready to adjust my life to your word? Instead of trying to find an interpretation of your word, I can adjust to fit my life. That's a powerful challenge. And I would encourage you to pray that same prayer when you open the pages of the Bible. Start with the Bible, let it challenge you. So let's take a couple of examples of how we might move from then and there to here and now from Romans chapter eight. Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So the then and there is that Paul and apparently other early believers who were being persecuted for their faith. They were in various occasions mocked, excluded, beaten, jailed, and sometimes even killed. So that's what he's writing about, this incredible kind of suffering that he's undergoing. What is the here and now? What does Paul's experience of suffering have to do with us today? Well, a few different things jumped out to me. One is that even the most faithful people, like Paul, experience suffering. So we see the value of knowing who's writing this. Like one of the great leaders of the church is saying that he experiences suffering. So suffering is a common experience. The fact that suffering is a common experience is also a reminder that we should share our burdens with one another. That's another thing that stood out to me about this passage. And that because of Christ's resurrection, there is hope on the other side of our suffering. You see, understanding what we're reading, where it came from, can actually help us understand how to apply this better in our own lives. Another verse, Romans 8, 26. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So the then and there 
is that Paul is naming the common experience of struggling in prayer. Hands up if that's you. So what is the here and now? Well, first of all, the assumption that we should pray, right? It's just right there. We're going to be praying. So there's something that we're, we're challenged with. Also an acknowledgement that struggling with prayer is common. And it's in fact assumed for believers. The most faithful of us are going to struggle in our prayer. But there's also this gem in there that even when we can't find words, the Holy Spirit can pray on our behalf. And so we can actually take this experience that Paul was sharing with the Romans in the first century and apply it in our own prayers. That when we don't know what to say, we can just invite the Holy Spirit to pray on our behalf. Starting with what the words meant in their original context, we can confidently move to the application in our own lives and in our own day. I like what Pope Benedict XVI writes. He says, the meaning of a given passage of the Bible becomes most intelligible in those human beings who have been totally transfixed by it and have lived it out. Interpretation of scripture can never be a purely academic affair and it cannot be relegated to the purely historical. I love that because it acknowledges that those works are important. The academic work, the studying the word, the understanding the history, all of that's important. But these words have got to be lived out to be truly understood. Now, one final piece for us to think about as we consider how to take the words of Scripture and bring them into the present and into our daily lives. I remember years ago reading this story about the Prince of Grenada. He was the heir to the Spanish crown and because of political issues of the day, he was sentenced to life in solitary confinement at a place called the Place of the Skull. Um, he was given solitary confinement and he was given a Bible. That was the only possession he had in the cell. And he spent 33 years in that cell alone until he died. Now, when he died, they went into the cell and the people discovered that there were scratches, markings on the wall carved into the stone of this, of this cell. And what it was, was all kinds of incredible information about the Bible, such as Psalm 118 verse 8 is the middle verse of the Bible. Ezra 7, 21 contains all letters of the alphabet except the letter J. Esther 8 verse 9 is the longest verse in the Bible. And no word or name of more than six syllables can be found. Now, I gotta admit, that's pretty impressive to be able to figure that stuff out. But at the other end of the spectrum, it's like 33 years. And these are the things that he wanted to leave behind. A, a tragic example of how we can read the Bible and completely miss the point. And also a reminder that this is most likely to happen when we read it in isolation. One thing that is often lost in our desire to understand is the simple fact that the original books of the Bible were rarely, if ever, read in private. Robert Weber writes that the Christian way of knowing is reflection on scripture within community. Letters that were circulated, documents that were read out in public in the synagogue. This is how the scriptures were shared among one another. And this is one of the gifts that's actually embedded in our weekly post-service discussion. In just a couple minutes, we'll break, we'll have a time to discuss with one another and learn about how scripture can be applied in our lives today. Now, I'm not suggesting that we abandon private reading, not at all. It's very important, but that we acknowledge the limitations of understanding what we're reading when we do so in isolation. So in closing here this morning, I'd like to share something with you. I was listening to a podcast and there was this fantastic story about some research that had been, was being done in the field of marine biology. As you are aware, 
coral reefs are one of Earth's beautiful specimens. The colors, just the different shapes, the variety, it's incredible. But you're also probably aware that because of climate change and various other factors, there are a number of coral reefs, including some significant ones that are dying. They're losing their color like this other image shows. But what researchers were doing was they thought, I wonder if we could do something that would stimulate some regrowth of these reefs. And so what they did is they put these little speakers on the dying or dead coral reefs and they played just a little bit of sound. And what happened was that this sound, which was kind of made to imitate um, aquatic life, began to attract some very small fish. And they were very excited about this because what they realized was that they might be able to actually rebuild some of these coral reefs simply by inserting the sound of life. When I heard that, like right away, I thought that is like the Bible for us. God's word stimulates new growth and new life. And if you find yourself in a place where your faith is maybe struggling, where you're maybe wavering here and there, the Bible is a place that even though it's gonna require a little bit of work, maybe a lot of work, it can stimulate that new growth and that new life and that new vitality that we all need in our walk of faith. The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. The whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And as these words, as we read these words together, we are invited to respond to them, to live our lives in response to God. So let's pray together. God, we hear the sound of scripture we realize in this moment that we are able to hear your spirit speak to us through these ancient words. And God, regardless of the amount of effort it's gonna require, we gotta do what we need to do in order to read this Bible well, so we can understand how to live the way that you have created us to live. God, go with us into our discussion groups now. Be with us as these words and your words in scripture echo in our minds and hearts throughout the week. Shape us and form us into your people. In Christ's name, amen. If you haven't joined a post-service discussion group before, there will be a link in the comments right about now. And if you click on that, you'll be able to join one of the neighbor's groups that'll be happening right now. Peace to you.